Every Quentin Tarantino film is a musicological event, a study in the use of soundtrack music, and his latest is particularly interesting because he limits himself only to music heard when the movie takes place in 1969. So without divulging spoilers or trying to be a film critic, I really have to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Most striking is the film's many layers. It's a movie about making movies, actors playing characters playing characters, history distorted through camera lenses as seen through camera lenses. The confusion allows Tarantino to live out a fan fiction fantasy. He even gets to direct scenes from bad TV shows and genre flicks. But even though our plot sends our perception a million fun directions, it's all tied together with a near constant AM radio broadcast. More ubiquitous than the cigarettes and the hairspray, the soundtrack sustains the energy through his signature long scenes and keeps a sharp focus on hippie-era L.A. culture. One of the real stars of the film is Maria Ramos, the music supervisor who's worked with Tarantino since Reservoir Dogs. It must have been a tough job securing the rights to these historic artifacts, some of which are such a part of pop culture that they take on the same cameo appearance quality as pretty much every actor's entrance. To be sure, the film won't be everybody's cup of tea. The directing is as indulgent and far-reaching as that of the time it evokes. But I enjoyed every minute, and musically, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a triumph. For KMUW, I'm Mark Foley. And you're listening to Musical Space. I'm Fletcher Powell here with Mark Foley. Mark, I'm glad you saw the movie. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really fantastic. And something we've talked about before, I think, um, is Quentin Tarantino's use of music. I mean, he's, he really is, along with, say, somebody like Martin Scorsese, um, somebody who is is among the very best at using pop music or, or I guess I don't know what else to call it. It's not necessarily all pop music, but... but, but um, pre-recorded music to to really get across an idea and to put you in right. a place and time. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Scorsese because Scorsese goes in the past and finds the best music of that era. But then there's Tarantino who, he's going AM radio, not FM radio. <laughs> he's finding a lot of trash that <laughs> yeah. that really puts us in this in the place in such a direct way. It's really fun. Yeah, and he really does seem kind of to revel in that that trashy cult side of things right yeah bad tv bad movies and i'm not going to say this is bad music by any means no certainly not but, but yeah a lot of this is like 45 versions of of just like really you know it's light <laughs> let's let's put it that way well before we get to some of the songs uh that, that you brought along today i do want to mention um uh that i'm glad that you talked about mary ramos who who honestly as much as i know uh, about movies, which which is a fair bit, I, you know, uh, I will say. Uh, I I didn't know that she had been with him since Reservoir Dogs, and, and that really makes me feel like she doesn't. I mean, she doesn't get credit for something that that clearly is very very important to his movies. Right. Yeah. I think she was hired as a production assistant on Reservoir Dogs, and and they just kind of hit it off. And I, I know his technique for writing music is he goes into his music room. And he just puts on records, mm -hmm. and then and then the words start flowing. And when he's meeting actors 
or when he's meeting Mary Ramos, they go into that room and they spin discs and, and trade ideas back and forth. Wow, can you imagine? I know, right? Just to be in that room. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, let's let's listen through some of these. Uh, and um, my assumption is that all of these are in the movie itself, uh, and, and and that we can hear throughout uh, throughout the movie on on that AM radio station, which which I really loved. You know, hearing especially all the old schlock commercials, right? Hearing yeah. advertisements for like a, a movie version of the Illustrated Man, just yeah. all sorts of stuff. <laughs> you know, to, that really put you in 1969 LA, right? And so there's layers to this. You know, like like are we? Is it supposed to put us in that time? But it's also tries to put us into this headspace where, you know, like, are we living in that time or are we looking on it from a distance? And it's just confusing in a great way. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, speaking of, of course, putting us in a time and place, this uh, this first group, uh, the, the Village Callers from East L.A. Yeah, yeah. And this is one of the few times where we actually have a non-white band playing because the movie is really... You know, I have to say it's kind of a white male ideal. Yeah, it's very, and yeah. Quentin is definitely playing with that. Um, and and so there's a, a lot of naivety in, in, in what he's bringing forth here. But this is actually a East L.A. Latin band, even though they're playing, you know, kind of a AM radio sort of tune. This is a tune called Hector, and it's awesome. I mean, the, the energy is just really high you know it's, that's the best thing that am radio can bring is, is that energy um i don't know if people have done it but i hope hip-hop artists have sampled this thing because it just bumps Moving on uh, to, to a group that I haven't heard of, but but you do mention that they have another song that's a hit uh, that I'm familiar with. That was Black is Black. The, yeah. The group is Los Bravos. Los Bravos. They're a, they're a Spanish band from Madrid with a German lead singer. Um, yeah, Black is Black is a tune. If you heard it, you'd know, oh, yeah, oh, that absolutely. band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Really, really powerful singer. Um, 
I like this tune even better because it's just, again, really super high energy. There's this uh, plucked bass at the beginning that just drives the whole thing. I'm I'm dumbfounded. <laughs> I wish I could play bass like that. <laughs> uh, it's a tune called Bring a Little Love, and, and it just works for this go-go scene. And then I don't think there's any way we could have gotten out of this movie without hearing the Mannix theme uh, that, that you've got up next. Lalo Schifrin uh, c- composed that. Yeah, maybe this this selection brings me into that time more than anything else. Yeah. Because I used to, when I was a kid, I used to watch Mannix. Yeah, I good thought for it was you. So super cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and and you could not pull this off nowadays. This is a big band jazz waltz. And you would think it'd be the lamest thing ever, but it's really, really deep. Lalo Schifrin, I'm a huge fan because he also did the Mission Impossible theme. He did, you know, I think he did Bullet and a lot of those. Bunch of stuff you've heard. Yeah, yeah. And it's really driving and beautiful. And this was released as a single in 1969.
Up next, uh, another uh, couple of artists, I guess, who who I'm also not familiar with. Although you make a, a decent point about about where this song sort of places in the in the ideological uh, spectrum of this movie, the Buchanan Brothers. But but tell me why you chose this song. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just another like AM kind of tune, and um, it really kind of exemplifies Tarantino's wanting to make this really really white and male driven mm-hmm. and. Yeah, so the lyrics are super misogynistic. It's just a love them and leave them kind of tune. And it just, you know, it doesn't even go anywhere lyrically. Uh, but it's a good tune. Um, it's kind of like um, kind of like that Mitch Ryder in the Detroit Wheels tune, Jenny Takes a Ride, that we were listening to during the piece. Um, this is also kind of this, you know, white male, you know, idyllic situation. This is actually a tune, uh, C.C. Ryder, which was recorded by blues artist Ma Rainey in 1924. But it's gone through all these appropriated, you know, revisions. And finally, it's just like the whitest thing you can imagine. <laughs> Not to take away from the impact of the tune. It's really, really well done. And and I would dance to it if it was on the dance floor. But yeah, there's this really sharp division between, you know, American black roots and what we're ending up with in this whole um, in this whole soundtrack, and and I think that maybe this is just one of many examples uh, of the um, the fact that I think Tarantino is more self aware than people give him credit for because he gets accused of misogyny and and creating white male fantasies quite a lot, and, right. and while some of that I believe is is an accurate uh, criticism. Also, he's doing a lot of other things, and I think this is this is just one tiny example of, of him recognizing that and showing you that that you know he's playing off of that as well. Right? Yeah. It, maybe he wants you to feel a little creeped out, you know, mm-hmm. just just like the horrendous violence that you sometimes mm-hmm. get in the movie. I'm not going to do any spoilers. Yeah. You might want to turn away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to watch. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, and this and and then you get this double creepiness because you enjoy it, and then. Oh no! I was I was laughing at that horrible thing, yep. and that's to me that's what's going on with a lot of these selections.
This next one, when I heard it uh, during the movie, uh, certainly I noticed it right away, but also I, I, the feel of this song just sort of encompasses the entire feel of this movie for me. It's California Dreamin', but it's not the one you're used to. Right, yeah, Jose Feliciano. Wow, what a great performance, yeah. right? I mean, he takes this this AM tune and turns it into this really deep FM kind of, um, you know, album-oriented rock kind of thing. Really beautifully done. Uh, it was uh, the B side of this is is the tune that was more famous, uh, "Light My Fire," mm-hmm. another cover <laughs> that he did, and added this Latin spin to it. And doesn't it put you into the LA mood? Yeah, and yeah, and, and the time and them driving around and just that that sun soaked sort of kind of lazy feel. Yeah, yeah, it's it's more California dreaming than I think the Mamas and the Papas pull off. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And then the uh, the last tune, um, <laughs> you know, th- there were so many groups around this time <laughs> with names like this. Uh, it's from yeah. it's from a group called Vanilla Fudge. Yeah. Um, I I personally don't know how how famous they were at, at the time, but but you know, I mean, it, I just I'm not surprised at all that a group from you know the, the late '60s was called Vanilla Fudge and it has a song like this. It's a seven minute rock odyssey. You, right. You yeah. Right. Yeah. Vanilla Fudge. There was. Strawberry alarm clock. Oh, and yeah, yeah, I know. I love it. It's like psychedelic <laughs> rock. And it's a trippy movie, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, so the, the trippiness gets literal <laughs> at the end of the movie. And I couldn't think of a better tune. Uh, you Keep Me Hanging On, um, you know, which is a Motown tune, of course, you know, following this theme of um, whitening, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of American culture. Mm-hmm. That's going on here. Uh, but it's also really well done and super indulgent, just just like Tarantino himself. Yeah, well, we'll leave you uh, with with that version of "You Keep Me Hanging On" from Vanilla Fudge. I mean, Mark, we could really we could talk about this movie and Tarantino's um, both his approach to filmmaking and his use of music for for a long, long time. <laughs> but I, I guess we got to stop somewhere. Well, okay, let's do it again sometime. Yeah, let's do that. 